We begin a new series today in the book of Ruth. It's the uh, seventh, the eighth book in the, in the Old Testament. Um, the key concept in the book of Ruth is the book of loyalty. So I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that loyalty can be bought? Can someone buy your loyalty? Now, businesses have begun to incentivize loyalty. Starbucks, for instance, will give you a free drink with 25 stars, something called Star Rewards. Southwest gives you a free um, drink to its loyal customers. If you spend $100 at Macy's, they give you Macy's dollars. Outback gives uh, dine rewards. The fourth time in, you get 50% off. Sounds pretty good. Grocery stores like Weiss, Safeway, Giant Eagle give you points. So loyalty, can loyalty be bought? Or is loyalty freely given? I want to give you seven reasons to study the book of Ruth. First one is, Ruth is a significant book in the Word of God. Uh, it happens during the time of Judges. The Judges was a time when everybody was doing right in their own eyes. There's only, the Bible only has two books named after women. Do you know that? The first one is called Esther, and the second is called Ruth. And my desire as we begin this new year together, one of my goals is to encourage you to prayerfully read the Word of God. The book of Ruth was intended to be read in one setting. It takes about 10 minutes to read. And what if you just read the book of Ruth every day for the next month? Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says that whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that through our endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This book gives us hope of how God is working in even the darkest of times. Secondly, Ruth is a beautiful love story. I have a granddaughter whose name is Rowan, and she's a little ballerina now, two years old. She is the cutest ballerina I've ever seen. And she loves Cinderella, and she loves Beauty and the Beast. And I asked myself the question, why does this little two-year-old love these stories? Because Rowan loves love stories. You see, love is our greatest need. We need to be pursued, and we need to be wanted, and we need to be valued. We need to be affirmed and provided for and taken care of. In the story of Ruth, you're going to see how the writer introduces the characters, how, how they meet together, how Ruth um, takes care of her mother-in-law, how Ruth eventually makes a marriage proposal, about how everything that's tragic gets reversed. So it's a beautiful love story. Three, Ruth is a portrait of noble womanhood and manhood. We live in a time when there's scarce examples of nobility. It's said of Ruth in the book that she was a woman of noble character. She was a woman of virtue. We are in great need, would you agree? We're in great need in our culture of examples of virtue to elevate the meaning of womanhood and manhood. Even though Ruth is poor, there's no sense of entitlement in Ruth. She's willing to work hard to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. And even though he's rich, Boaz, he is, he is protective and generous with Ruth. He doesn't see his wealth as something he needs to hold on to. 
Both start the story single. Ruth has been married before. Ruth Boaz appears to have never been married. But they're example to me of propriety and self-restraint before marriage. They have impeccable character. Number four, the book of Ruth addresses racial and ethnic diversity. God is bringing to our church diversity, have you noticed, of how diverse we are becoming. People from all over the world are coming here. Ruth was not from Israel. She was an unclean Gentile from Moab. She is an outsider that becomes part of the nation. She is a refugee who looks for refuge and rest. She is drawn into faith and the lineage of Jesus Christ. And her marriage is an interracial marriage. So those of you who find yourself in diverse ethnic relationships should note that the Bible does not frown on those relationships. Number five, Ruth displays one of the most radical acts of risk-taking love. Now, I said it's a love story, right? But before Ruth unveils her love for Boaz, she displays sacrificial, devoted love to her grieving mother-in-law. Now, you probably heard it before, but one of the key verses in all the book and worth your memorization is Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, which says, Where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you go, I will go. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth is willing to lay it all down, to leave it all behind, to say goodbye to her family and friends, to go down a path she's never been on, to live in a place she's never lived, to associate with people she doesn't even know yet, to follow Yahweh, the true and living God. Number six, Ruth displays the sovereignty of God. This is God at work in the darkest of times. Sometimes God does his greatest work in the darkest of human times. God is always at work bringing redemption out of adversity. So many times when we face adversity, we feel as if God is far away. But God shows us in this book that he is always at work, working out his plans, orchestrating events for our good and for his glory. This book in Boaz foreshadows the person of Christ, and Ruth foreshadows the church. And lastly, another reason to read Ruth, if you're not convinced already, is I want to warn you that Ruth is real, genuine, raw, unvarnished pain and suffering. The first chapter of Ruth, which we're going to look at this morning, paints in very dark colors. It will seem as if God has turned against Naomi because Naomi will blame God for all of her woes. Now, her tragedy may mirror some of your own losses. Her journey may remind you of your own pain. But we shouldn't be harsh with her because she's a woman who is deeply grieving. So with all that said, let's open our Bibles now to Ruth, the eighth book, or you're finding your mobile device, Ruth, and let's begin our journey together. It says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, that in the days when the judges ruled. Now, the judges was the darkest time in Israel's history. 
Because in the time of judges, people did that which was right in their own eyes. People made up their own rules. They did what seemed right to them. They would sin over and over again, and they would suffer the consequences of their sin. Sometimes the rain wouldn't fall. Sometimes they experienced famine. Sometimes their enemies would swoop in like locusts and take them captive. But they would be in slavery and oppression and fear, and they would cry out to God for deliverance. And God would send them a judge, a deliverer, who would rally the people, and they would fight for their freedom. Overall, the season is one of darkness. And the book of Ruth is a beautiful light in that time. It says there was a famine in the land. God had promised that if the people entered into sin, that he would withhold the rains. And there was a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The story begins in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. It's the ancestral home of David. But in the house of bread, there is no bread. It's a time of hardship. It's a time of famine, a time of scarcity. Now, many of us here have never experienced a famine. We say the words, you know, I'm starving, which means I missed lunch. They wondered what they would eat themselves. They wondered what their children would eat. And in a time of famine, what happened was the prices went up. Bread became very expensive. And people had to pay exorbitant prices for bread. And they would go into loans and into slavery over being in debt. And sometimes they had to mortgage their homes. So what the Elimelech is feeling is um, great fear. Now, it may seem to us as if this whole business of mobility is not a big deal, right? If we have an opportunity in another city, you know, we could go to that city. If we want to go to a college somewhere else, we can travel to that city. But he takes his family to a place called Moab. He kind of turns his back on God and the promised land. And he goes to Moab. Now, Moab was known for Moab, this incestual relationship between Lot and his daughter. That's how Moab was born. And the Moabites seduced the Israelites into immorality. It was a place known for idolatry and immorality. And historically, Moab had been an enemy of Israel, the king of Moab aligned against Israel. And Elimelech takes his family to, of all places, Moab. It'd be like if we lived here in Maryland and over in West Virginia, it had a certain reputation. And let's say the governor of West Virginia turned against our state and brought an attack against Maryland. And you say, you've gone to West Virginia? So what's happening here early in the story is Elimelech is taking his family over to Moab. What happens next? What happens in Moab? It says in verse 2 and 3 that this man had a wife whose name was Naomi, sweetness, and he had two sons whose names were Malon and Kilion. Malon means puny, and Kilion means pining away. Imagine calling your children 
puny one and one pining away. So he takes, his, he takes his family over to Moab to live for a short while. But while he is there, Elimelech dies, it says, leaving behind Naomi and the two sons. And then what happens is that the two sons marry Moabite wives. And then the two sons die. Now, you have to say that Naomi finds herself in a very tough situation. She is a widow, poor and penniless. She doesn't have a husband to take care of her. She has lost her sons who would be there to provide for her. And she's getting on in years. She's practically lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's lost her security. She's lost her provision. She's lost her hope. Naomi sizes up the situation. There's nothing left for her here in Moab. All she has left is these two women, and these women are childless. There's no one to carry on the family line. This is the curse of all curses. And so, in the depth of her despair, in the midst of hopelessness, she makes a decision. We find it in verse 6. What happens is, When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there. There was a glimmer, a slight glimmer of hope. They heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, that after this season of famine there was a harvest, that God was providing food for them. So Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, The three widows made their preparations to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of bread, has bread again. At least they'll be able to eat. So they leave the place where they've been staying, and they take what they can carry, and they set out on the road that takes them back to the land of Judah. Now, ten years before um, this, they had been on this road before, Naomi and her husbands and her two sons. But now her sons are gone. She has buried her husband and sons. There's three empty places at the table. And her sons had married Moabite women. And the sons are not coming back, but their wives are. Which now sets up in verse 8, the dialogue between Naomi and her daughters-in-law. Pick it up at verse 8. Now Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Not to your father's house, but to your mother's house. Apparently in Moab, the fathers and mothers didn't live together. So there was a house to which the daughters could return, not to their family home, but to their mother's house. And then she makes a beautiful prayer. She says, may the Lord show his kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. The first prayer that Naomi makes over her daughters-in-law in the midst of their grief, is, may the Lord show his kindness to you, as you have shown to me. This is the Hebrew word hesed, which means faithfulness, loyalty, kindness, goodness, and steadfast love. May the Lord show his kindness to you, because the heart of God is exceedingly kind. May the Lord show his faithfulness to you because the Lord keeps 
all of his promises. May the Lord show his covenant loyalty to you. May the Lord show his goodness to you. May the goodness of God follow you all the days of your life. May you experience his steadfast love as you have shown this to me. Naomi recognizes that Orpah and Ruth have shown kindness to her and her family. So she lifts up this kindness as a model of God's kindness. And this is the first occurrence of this word loving kindness in the book. Hesed is the covenant-keeping kindness of God, melding together his love and mercy, his grace and goodness, his loyalty. Hesed has been said is love without an exit strategy. It is God being for us. It is God being totally for us, regardless of what we have done. The first prayer she prays over them, and a beautiful prayer to pray, is may God show his kindness to you. And the second prayer she prays, if you're looking at it, verse 9 is, would the Lord grant that you would find rest in the house of another husband? Now, she believed that rest would come to her daughters-in-law in the house of her next husband. But ironically, that rest was one of the promises that God made to his people in coming into the promised land. In other words, Naomi is so out of sync with God that she believes that rest will be found there in the land of Moab, far from the land of Israel. She's trying to push her daughters away. You can almost feel the emotion in the moment. You can almost hear the cries as they weep aloud. And as Naomi is trying to push these daughters away from her, a response to grief. She says to them, may you find rest in the house of your husband. Now, we know that in Deuteronomy, God set up a way for widows to be provided for. If a woman's husband died, her brother would take responsibility for... So if a woman's husband died, her, his, his brother, who's still alive, would take responsibility for the dead brother's widow. She would be taken into that brother's house. Which to me says, if Amir is my brother, and he's marrying somebody... I want to be really sure that this is somebody that I would take responsibility for should Amir fall off the scene. So the, the idea of Leverite marriage meant that a brother had a huge responsibility should his brother pass away. Okay. Now, both of these sons have died, and there's no brother to care for the widow. Naomi has nothing. She says, even if I were married, you couldn't wait long enough for him to care for you. And if you come with me, I have nothing to offer you. So the story here is showing her level of discouragement. So what happens next in the story is at this moment, verse 14, they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. The word cling is the same word we use in marriage for a man shall leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his wife. That the devotion of Ruth was so strong to Naomi 
that she literally held on to her. Orpah, on the other hand, kissed her goodbye. And then you see the beautiful story in verse 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And look at verse 16, the reply of Ruth. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. What she's saying is she releases her grip. She looks her in the eye. She says, don't try to talk me out of this. I am going with you. I am committed to you. I am devoted to you. That wherever you go, there I will go. And wherever you stay, there I will stay. Your people will become my people, and your God, my God. She leaves everything familiar to her, her culture, her homeland, her gods. She travels a road she's never traveled before. She travels to a place she's never seen. And she shows this beautiful example of selfless, sacrificial love. And notice that Naomi is speechless. She doesn't say a word. Now, I've heard these words actually spoken at weddings. I'm sure you have too. That where you go, I will go. That where you stay, I will stay. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. But I've never heard a daughter-in-law say this to a mother-in-law. Have you? This is, you know, Abraham left everything behind. But he had a promise of something ahead of him. In this case... Naomi has nothing to offer her, and she still shows her devotion and selfless, sacrificial love by taking the journey with her. Don't try to dissuade me from this, because I am committed to you. In the midst of all of this darkness, there's this beautiful shaft of light, of devotion and sacrifice on the part of Ruth. So the two of them went on till they came to Bethlehem, And they arrived in Bethlehem, it says in verse 19. And the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Sweetness? Pleasantness? She's been gone 10 years? I mean, she doesn't look quite the same, but is, is this Naomi? And look at what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She went off on that road with a husband and two sons. And she comes back with a Moabitess. I went off full. We cashed in our house. We took all of our possessions. And she comes back with only what she can carry on her back. She comes back a penniless, poor widow with absolutely nothing. Her house has perhaps been mortgaged. She has huge debt upon her. She has no son. She has no husband. She only has Ruth. I'm coming back empty. 
what do you think it feels like to be Ruth? She's left everything behind, but I'm coming back empty. I've got nothing. Why call me Naomi, she said. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You know, it's interesting to me. So many times in life, we want to put the blame onto God for the misfortunes, the woes that we have. When they made a deliberate choice to leave their homeland to go to Moab and live. And there they suffered consequences for those choices and hardships. But now instead of taking responsibility, she's putting that onto God himself. She's blaming God for all of her problems, all of her afflictions. And Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Let me make three observations about this. First, where God is working in the darkest of times may greatly surprise you. Israel is the land of promise, the land of abundance. Bethlehem is the city of bread, but the city of bread had no bread. Now the Lord wants to give abundance to his people, but Elimelech leaves the land of promise to go to the land of compromise. Moab is a land of idolatry and immorality. You ask the question, what good could possibly come out of Moab? To make matters worse, Elimelech, the husband, dies. Then they marry Moabite women, and this is not according to her script. To make matters worse, the two sons die. But God is working in the darkest of times. You see, God uses his sovereignty to ordain that even in the midst of sorrowful tragedy, it sets the stage for surprising triumph. Over in Moab, he's grabbing the heart of Ruth. She's becoming a woman of faith, and she will leave everything to follow God. Where God is working in the darkest of times will surprise you. Number two. In whose heart God is working in the darkest of times may us also surprise you. Naomi is the focus of chapter one. She is a woman with an honest hurt. She is raw and wounded. If we think about what she has been through, we won't be too hard on her. She's been in a 10-year nightmare. She has lost her husband. She has lost her sons. And she finds herself in Moab. There is some big-time needs in her life. Right now, it's about survival, finding food. Now, this is what I know to be true. People who follow after God will experience losses, suffering, and trials. The providence of God can sometimes make us wonder about the things he ordains for us. Have you ever felt as if the providence of God has been hard on you? Have you ever felt the weight of your circumstances just too heavy to bear? Have you ever felt it's just like one thing after another? God, could you just give me a break? But God is at work in Naomi's life. Right now she is bitter. She is facing tragedy. But God is at work in Naomi's life, and we'll see that unfold in the story. Number three. How God is working in the darkest of times may surprise you. Naomi and Ruth will finish um, 
with these needs, the need for food, having nothing, carrying on their back only what they have. But as they travel back to the land, there is a reward. This is what I know. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But he, but he who has faith believes that God is. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. If you seek after him, you will find him. And when you find him, you'll find that he is faithful, and he is good, and he is loyal, and he is merciful. And he's able to turn the tragedies of our life around. Our God is faithful. This morning, you may have faced hard times, but do you believe that God is redemptive? Do you believe that God is able to reverse the tragedies in your life? God is able to use the hardships in your life for your good and for his glory. Let me invite the praise team back. Let me say a prayer. Father, we're just opening up this enormous book of Ruth. It's a brand new year. My hope, Lord, is that no matter what the situation we are facing, no matter what the circumstances of our life, no matter how much tragedy we have faced, how many empty chairs are at our table, the divorce that we have passed through, the breakup of a relationship, the bad report from the doctor, the family crisis that we are passing through, that God, ultimately you are redemptive and that you have unfailing love for your people. Your love for us is steadfast and immovable, that nothing will ever change your feelings, your affections for us, nor your promises to us, that you're always at work, you're always working, you're always orchestrating, you're always arranging, you're always working things toward goodness and for your glory. Father, would you give to us a measure of faith in the situation we find ourselves to believe, God, that you are at work, that you're sovereign, you're all-powerful, you are the Almighty. God, would you allow us to believe and believe that you're a God who loves us and your love for us will never, ever change. God, increase our faith. Help us to see your hand at work through this beautiful book of Ruth, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.